Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real-life matters. Hey, welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. This podcast is hosted by three therapists from Austin, Texas, and our whole journey here, our whole job is to bring you the most fun, interesting, exciting, passionate, usable relational sciences and a friendly format that you can take home, make use of it so that it doesn't die in a journal somewhere or in a four inch textbook or what have you. We link you directly with the original sources where they are present. And then we also, based on our decades of experience, practicing, teaching, studying, making mistakes, figuring it out, we, uh, also provide our own perspectives on how to use this, make this most useful. Today's episode is going to be a continuation of the conversation about attachment, but specifically about disorganization, which is the least understood of the different categories. So let's get right to it. Hey there, I'm Ann Kelly. And I'm Sue Marriott. And I'm Patty Allwell. Today, we're going to talk again about attachment, and we're going to talk about organizing the disorganization. Right. Disorganized attachment. Have you guys noticed that a lot of times in training and we even did it right, we kind of drop it off. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention or care, right? The forgotten attachment. (laughs) And yet we've got what was been fun is we've gotten many, many inquiries to say, could you help us understand it? Because it is a little bit difficult to really grasp. Our audience is really smart because they're like, I'm pretty sure I'm there. So (laughs) please talk to us. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to try to help organize that. So first, though, we're going to spend one minute to bring everybody up to speed. We've done in-depth podcasts about this previously. So we're going to just do it in two sentences. Right. So historically, we've talked about attachment as secure and insecure. And then in the insecure area, there are two types of insecure attachment. There's insecure preoccupied and insecure avoidant. And we've done a lot of talking about kind of the dynamics underneath each one of those categories that we can see in infants and children and adults and how that type of insecurity manifests. And to think about it in a global sense, so that this whole podcast can make more sense when we're talking about attachment, we're talking about it as the infant's way of learning how to survive. Really, it's a survival technique that we learn from our caregiver. And in interacting with our caregiver, we learn how to keep ourselves safe. If there's a danger, we know we have to stay in proximity to that loving caregiver, and they have to be able to provide safety for us. And if so, we have to be reading them. And the way that we do that and what we learn through infancy with our caregiver is, is the world going to be safe? Is it going to be reliable? Is it going to be predictable? And then how eventually as I grow, how do I need to shift my behavior in order to make sure that I'm safe and out of danger? So that's the core. And if you, as Patty, you were mentioning secure versus insecure, the secure says, I've learned basically that my caregiver is going to keep me safe. So now I have security where the insecure is. I'm not so sure. Sometimes they're there. Sometimes they're not. But we need to start learning how to engage that caregiver. And the really cool thing about this is that this isn't just somebody's good idea or some loose theory 
But the data on this is amazing. And it's been decades and decades of research. And I want to mention the sort of the pioneers here, and many of you will recognize them, John Bowlby, Mary Ainsworth was a student of John Bowlby's, and then Mary Main was a student of Mary Ainsworth. So we have a little lineage that we really want to pay homage to. And one of the really important things about this is that it's been replicated so many times that the way I think of it is there must be some biological imperative that's happening that is organizing this in such a specific way. It's cross-cultural and international and applies to very many different populations. And being able to recognize it later, it's one of the most powerful predictors of social and emotional functioning later that you can see That's at right. infancy. It predicts health, it predicts how easy it is to make friends, the quality of your marriage later. So seriously, if there's anything, learning how to build security, that's why this is, that's why we did the whole podcast is we want to keep growing our capacity. And so as Anne was saying, what kept happening in the literature and in the research and and the science of it is that there were these three distinct categories. And that was really cool that that kept popping up. But Mary Main, remember Mary Ainsworth's student, you know, without going into the specific studies, just that there was one particular one that she did that is really famous called the strain situation. And the problem was that there were these rascally children that weren't fitting into these organized categories. Now, initially, Mary Ainsworth said, oh, it's just a subtype. It's just a sub, you know, put them and preoccupied or put them over here and avoid, you know, like, we're going to fix this problem. <laughs> but Mary Main persisted and began to find more and more data and substantial numbers. So that Mary Ainsworth wrote John Bowlby and said, you know, I think Mary Main may be onto something. And so they worked on it and looked at it and kept looking at the data. And they began to figure out it's not just a fourth category. It's actually something distinct and separate. And that's why it was called disorganized, because you know, the other three categories are organized, as Anne said, systems, uh, the literature calls it internal working models, or we kind of think of it as sunglasses that you put on, because it affects how you see the world, and it affects how you come across in the world. Right. And that group that you're talking about that kept coming out and then ended up in a rich discussion among the researchers that you're speaking of, is that their behaviors as they were researching, didn't match the goal of trying to keep the infant safe. So the types of behaviors that they were seeing to them didn't make sense. It wasn't consistent with what an infant would do to be able to stay close to their caregiver and feel safe and avoid danger. So it wasn't an organized strategy and it ended up falling into an understandable disorganized manner. That's right. But the problem has been, and this is where we want to really update people. The problem has been is it's been this category that's just even the title of it is disorganized. It's like what, let's learn more about those kids. But specifically in this episode, we're interested in adults. And so those of you that identified like, hey, that's me, you know, I'm pro I've got some disorganization. We totally agree. That's why we talk about attachment on a spectrum. And the research, again, we wouldn't be able to get as far as we were without this data. But what we're interested in doing is applying the data to real life individual people. So one notion is, which we already talked about, is that it's on a spectrum rather than just these distinct categories. Because most people, if you talk about it, I know when I was learning about this, I'm like, well, I'm definitely preoccupied. I'd read about preoccupied. I'm definitely preoccupied. And then I'd read about avoidant. Oh, no, I'm definitely avoidant. <laughs> and then I'd read about secure. No, really, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm doing all right. <laughs> Got some of that there earned security. That's right. I've worked really hard on that one. 
Uh, some people come by it naturally. Some of us work really hard for it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually what this is about, is how can we move all of these things closer to the middle, including the disorganized? And closer the, to the middle, meaning closer to security. Security, that's right. A balance between thinking and feeling. So we need to delve in a little bit more to the disorganized category. Right. The way it sort of operates in the real world is, you know, I may have a tendency towards preoccupied. You guys would never have noticed that. <laughs> and when I get under stress, I might scoot a little farther out that spectrum. You know, I might, my behaviors might be more preoccupied as I am under stress. The other side of this is that I might have like a pocket of unresolved trauma. And so when I run into a trigger that triggers that trauma, I look really disorganized. I don't look secure. I don't look preoccupied in you that don't look moment. Organized. Right. In that moment. Your behaviors don't make sense. Right. Right. To myself or the people I'm dealing with. And, and I love what you're saying, Patty, because it's consistent with Sue's description of how this laid out. Is And I know when I was taught it, I thought of disorganization as a category. There's this, this, and this, and then there's disorganized. And what you're saying is you could be in a secure category or you could be in an insecure category, but then have a pocket and disorganized is highly associated with trauma and you can have a pocket of a specific trauma and then go into a disorganized place. That's right. And I love, you know, we very much want to be talking about this. And I almost want to like move even away from thinking of categories. And I like our concept of buckets, right? That like, and, and internal working models. So if our sunglass lens tends towards one side of the spectrum or the other, meaning avoidant or preoccupied. That's the organized model, the internal working model. That's how we see the world and how we behave in the world. And then disorganized, almost it's like it runs underneath it all the way across. So like you all were saying, you can be, your internal working model can lean towards either any of these things, but particularly trauma, loss, and frightening caregivers are the big things that are associated with when we can fall into disorganized spaces. So let's talk about how that would look if we maybe had more significant trauma in our history that was unresolved and we tended to land quite often in the disorganized way as an adult. What would that look like? So one of the things I like what Patty said, which was, and we're going to tend to talk about it in this way, rather than disorganized, which sort of means we don't understand it, we're going to call it unresolved because that's really what it is. And so we need to understand what does unresolved mean. And so to answer your question more directly, what it looks like when we get in a disorganized state is that we lose mentalization. And that's why it's sort of spinny and it's sort of odd. We lose contact. We might look dissociated or we might act dissociated. Exactly. Um, actually, dissociation is highly correlated with this sort of spectrum of things that happen. And also, I think you were getting at sometimes we live there more and we really have more of a structure that's pretty unorganized or we are doing pretty well, but I think of it like walking on a wood floor, you know, like hardwood floors, because I love those. I've had them in every house, but it's solid, 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 mushy hole, right? right? And when we, we can fall into it, a good example of this is when parents that maltreat their children, they can tell you when they're in an organized state how to treat children. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, they can really be a great child advocate. 
But when they move into this disorganized space, that's not the part of the brain that they're accessing. It's all scrambled. And then they're often enacting something that happened to them or just in a sense, you know, have lost contact with their prefrontal cortex and their executive functioning in their minds. Right. That's what you find sometimes with frightening caregivers, that when they're calm, they know how they want to raise their children. They know what they want to do and not do. But when they get into this state, they can be frightening. And it's often a repetition of something that happened to them. That's right. And, you know, again, I love the I love talking about it in this way, rather than like those disorganized people over there, or those poor infants that looked not good in the strange situation. This research does correlate with more psychopathology and more difficulty in adulthood, but it doesn't have to. And even if it does, and you are identifying and that you feel like, yeah, that's me, that's not a problem because the notion here is that we just need to get whatever's unresolved and move that into a resolved space. So I want to talk a little bit more about what that looks like. How do you do that? Well, if you think of sort of what is resolved, what is resolved is that when you something bad happens to you, that you take forward in time the relevant information that's going to help protect you and you leave the rest. What that looks like in real life, it's how you speak. They talk a lot about there's a term called narrative coherence. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's basically that as I'm talking, I can stay connected to myself and I can stay connected to you, Patty, and be aware of how I'm affecting you. And that shows that my mind is in a resolved, peaceful, safe state. Now, when I begin to lose mentalization, I might fall into the full feeling. And then there's two ways of being unresolved. So resolved means that I can go back and forth and talk to you about what happened. It's not that I don't remember it's just that I'm not flooded by it. Right. One way of having an unresolved state, this is going to sound, begin to sound familiar to everybody, is to take too much information forward so that we can't get away from the bad thing that happened. And that looks like nightmares, intrusions, preoccupation, startle you start reflexes. To talk about the incident and you fall apart and it's really hard to soothe you either the other person soothe you or soothe yourself. Yeah, you've fallen into the hole, basically. So we want to map the hole and put ladders in so you can climb right out and really understand what's happening to you. And it really is just your body's way of trying to protect you by bringing the information forward so that that will never happen to you again. And you often need help with that. And that's, I think, the key is we're talking about how to get out of that state. And when you're disorganized, you really haven't developed a map. You don't have a strategy. So if you were listening and it sounds like somebody you love and they keep falling into that place to say, would you quit doing that? That's not going to work because they don't have a strategy. They have actually disconnected and fallen through the floor. And the key is their body has to feel safe. They have to feel safer to be able to come up. And they often are going to, if they're disorganized, need help feeling safe and coming up off that floor. That's exactly right. Which brings my mind to the other side of unresolved, which is, so remember, if you're resolved, you have this balance of thinking and feeling about the incident or about your history. And then unresolved, if you bring too much, we've already talked about that. But if you don't bring enough, if you block it out and you do things to avoid thinking about it, uh, so there's a lot of avoidance behaviors, and it basically becomes a split-off part. And again, sometimes that works just fine and you're moving along, and it's only when that particular loss or frightening incident or trauma 
comes up for you in your adult life or maybe an anniversary or whatever it is that's triggering it, that that will suddenly come forward. And it'll be very confusing because you're not thinking about what it was because you don't have a coherent narrative. You might not even recognize it. All you know is that your heart rate's going up and something's happening in it. But oftentimes in disorganization, you don't have memories. The memory, like you're saying, that you don't bring them up. Maybe you're repressing them or maybe you really don't remember. But it's still there and your body's reaction is there. Yeah, which sort of brings the point up of kids that have trauma before at an early age will never have the kind of narrative memories that we do as adults. So they can't say, oh, at two years old, I was looking over the crib and I fell on my head, right? They will never remember that. But if they've had some trauma at 18 months, they may remember when they see slats and they have that memory in their body. And so all of a sudden they're triggered and they have no idea what triggered them, but their body remembers. It is such a good point. And what's really painful about that, if it's disorganized, it's really, really hard. And one way you might know is if you can't find something that can soothe, you either sort of disappear, dissociate with it, or you're feeling trauma, but you can't seem to find or be given an, a capability of soothing and calming. We talked about Bowlby and Mary Maine and Mary Ainsworth. And what's interesting is many of you probably haven't heard of some clinicians that came in, some researchers actually that came in after and have really contributed to this field. And it has really shaped some of how we think about it. Patricia Crittenden is a researcher that was also Mary Ainsworth's student. She came after Mary Maine and she had a very sort of fresh and different take on these categories. The gist of it is Anne had alluded to before this term, which was Mary Main thought of the kids were looking to maintain proximity. In Just other to words, be to be close to who they need. Now, Crittenden, it's not going to sound like a big deal, but it becomes from a therapeutic standpoint and from us understanding it more compassionately, it is more about keeping the caregiver available. So I'm just going to fast forward to make this very simple. Crittenden's work, there's a lot fewer disorganized kids and there's more preoccupied kids that she saw some of the unusual behaviors that we were seeing in these kids that didn't fit as simply an extension or kind of a more extreme version of fear and fright and danger. And it's what kids do when they're in danger. And so we begin to think about when we're doing something that doesn't quite make sense to us, that may have been a solution to a problem. Right. And a very individualistic problem. So it's not in a broad swath of people, it may look strange and disorganized. In the specific relationship that kid was in, it made sense. That's exactly right, Patty. And that's really what we want to convey is this deep compassion and care and interest and curiosity about when we fall into disorganized states, what has happened before. And it does make sense to some part of us, even if it's you know, we've just basically lost our, what, you know, they call you've heard of mentalization. We lost that capacity temporarily just for a moment because we began to be a little flooded, but we can get it back. And the more that we can, again, we're wanting to develop coherent narratives. And I think that the way that we're talking about it is going to make it more possible for more people to understand themselves and others more deeply and not be afraid of this category or of this term at all. Or not to over put themselves in that category because they're showing some of those more extreme signs. Like you mentioned, Patty, if the stress gets bigger and bigger and bigger, we might go further and further out. 
And that behavior may not look like it makes sense, but on some level, it really has been developed in a way that does make sense about how to keep somebody there. If somebody is, maybe your person that you grew up with very depressed, had a very flat face and you couldn't get them to respond, you might, as an example, develop some kind of strategy that to the outside world looks a little nuts, but honestly, it really did help keep your caregiver available on some level. That's right. And I am so happy that we're getting to this because like I said, I was already, I had already put myself in every category. I, I'll put myself in this category too. Again, the way that we're formulating it is that these things are much more fluid. When we talk about categories, that's actually, it's an outcome of research because you need categories to be able to look at data or assessment. You need categories to be able to assess people and, and you know, these people, uh, you know, above this number are this and things like that. That's great for assessment and research. But what we're contributing is being able to take that assessment and research and apply it to real lives and to real people. And from that perspective, don't think of categories. Don't put yourself in a category at all. Instead, think in terms of we want to increase the time that you are in an organized state and that your organized state hopefully is going to become more and more balanced between thinking and feeling. Right. And that happens in relationship to other people. So this might be a point at which you ask for help. You go see a therapist. You talk to your partner. You can heal in relationship to your children. So it is not, you know, I'm disorganized and I'm going to be disorganized forever. It's like I spend some time in disorganization. My goal is to spend more time in an organized state. That's right. So I, you know what bums me out about that is I, I think I spent probably years reading self-help books or <laughs> psychology texts and things like that thinking that was going to fix me. So, <laughs> and I, I guess what you're saying is it's never going to happen. Just if I, if I go in a closet with a... Uh, book. It, I can't learn myself out of this. Is that it? No. And you can't think your way out of this. You have to, and you can't only <laughs> feel your way out of it. It's, it takes another human being and a mixture of feeling and thinking to heal. That's a wonderful way to put it. And to develop trust is is a really core thing. And by being able to do it in relationship, your body, and we, we talk a lot about neuroscience, just to kind of bring that as as we start to conclude your body actually is constantly receiving information about how to, it's not just understanding, you know, how many of us can say, oh, what's best for us is A, B, and C, and we start doing it on Monday, right? No, we have to move something. I did buy a yoga mat. <laughs> <laughs> you have that. <laughs> you have to be able, as Patty, you're saying, do it in relationship to others, because part of what we need to know in BUILD is that relationships in the world are in fact something that does bring us safety, security. And it is through working with somebody else and learning to have your body connect that as a safe thing that we grow towards the security and we get more organized. Absolutely. So, and in that vein, you know, we've got a lot more to say about this because obviously it's oh, there's just a very rich topic, particularly around how that these things relate to one another. So if your internal working model bucket, you know, leans one way and your partner's internal model leans over here, and then you've got a little disorganization over here. It's like, how do all these things fit together? And we are currently in the middle of producing some online courses to be able to go into each of these things and go in much more depth. If you go to therapistuncensored.eventbrite, and it's B-R-I-T-E dot com, 
you'll see our page. We're taking folks already on the waiting list. And again, the first some number, I forget the number of people that sign up are going to get the paid course at a discount, at a 25% discount. But before the paid course, everybody's going to get a free course because we want this to be accessible. And, you know, the whole podcast is free and we're giving away such fantastic information and putting it together for folks in a usable way. And then the first course is also going to always be free so that anybody can access it. So the name of the course is Modern Adult Attachment Theory, the Updated Basics. That's going to be the free course. And then after that, there's going to be one called Similar Modern Adult Attachment Advanced, and it'll be advanced studies. I'm really excited about the course. And one of the ways is that one, I love being able to bring this information on podcast, but I'm really excited about the course where we're going to have some visuals. So sometimes this is a lot to hold and it's a lot to conceptualize and the visuals that we're working on and the videos that we're working on, I think is really going to help these things become more clear and more personal to your lives in how to utilize them and how, like you were saying, how they relate in a relationship. If you lean on one end and your partner leaves on another or your child, we're going to be really talking more actively about how we can put those two things together and how to help each other along the way while crisis is happening. So when we're not using our mentalization and we're a little stressed. So one of the things that happened to me when I was reading about all this stuff and learning about it is I had very young children and I got super paranoid. (laughs) Um, uh, Right. And that I was positive that I was screwing them up forever and not doing it right. So I just understand that to be a very common reaction. So any of you that are parents of young kids, do not fret. Probably if anything bad happens, you probably people weren't going to the links that you are to learn this stuff, like listening to this podcast is already a sign that you really care about this and that you're working on your internal mental model and, you know, working towards coherence. So your kids are lucky to have you. So I just want to say that for sure. So thank you for listening and check out our website at therapistuncensored.com and you can sign up for our email list. And we'd love to have you also rate and review us. See you soon. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Olwell, and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.